0: Welcome back, citizen. You're listening to Space Trucker Radio. Everything you need to know about what's happening in the verse. Don't leave without us. We're full quantum in three, two, one, punch it. Hey guys, welcome back to Space Trucker Radio. Another edition of our Star Citizen Tales, which we're going to get kicked off today. But first, let me just welcome you back in officially. I know it's been a long time since uh, I did an episode, and I I really, truly want to thank you for your patience. As I mentioned a while ago, been a very busy summer. A lot of renovations, a lot going on uh, within the family. So, uh, you know, you get it. Your father's brothers, sons, mothers, daughters, wives, and uh, you understand life comes first. So uh, thank you very much. But I am excited to get back. There's a couple of things I'm interested in doing. Uh, A couple of lore episodes, or maybe one uh, based on the holidays. We see we got Luminalia kind of coming up here on December 22nd, rather. Uh, And that kind of got me thinking about some of the other holidays, Invictus Launch Week, for example, which, you know, isn't just about selling military ships. (laughs) It does have some lore. Few things like that. So, and also maybe a career episode. I'd love to talk a little bit about uh, my journey as I came into the game. I've been a founder since uh, 2012, and you know how I've seen things flush out in terms of some of the careers like mining, uh, cargo, uh, military bounty hunting, uh, box running, whatever it is that, that you like to do. And now we got medical gameplay. Uh, passenger transport is looming, we're, you know, always kind of salivating at the potential of salvage. So these are kind of things I would I would love to discuss. So, uh, And uh, I would obviously like to get back to some sort of semblance of regularity, and I'll do my very best to do that. Of course, as, uh, as I said, when I set out doing any of these episodes, they'll be when I have the time and when I can. And uh, so at least uh, getting back to it a little bit here, we have something for you to enjoy as you're flying around in the verse and uh, also something i've mentioned before uh, very keenly interested in building a proper sound studio i still haven't d- done that yet it wasn't really part of the the rentals that we were planning but it is up and coming and so i appreciate you bearing with me with the audio quality that i can muster at the family desk up until this point uh, so where were we in the story Well, we had just finished chapters one through seven last we seen penny uh, she got herself in a little bit of hot water With her tech, she was cracking some files. She probably shouldn't have been involved in. Screen went black. Uh, Wasn't good. Wasn't good. And that's all we basically found out. That's kind of where we left Penny. Of course, she she also thinks Cal Mason is dead. They've had the funeral. Of course, we know he's not. He's on the Constellation Phoenix with Sasha Tai. They were there at the uh, UEE uh, blockade to the Banu Protectorate. uh, But she just gave the order to kill him. And that's where we left you hanging. And I'm sorry for that. But, uh, you know, it's a good cliffhanger. It leaves you wanting some more. So here we are. Without further ado, here we are. Cassandra's Tears, a Cal Mason story, Chapter 8. Penny waited, arms crossed in the cold holding cell. Her foot tapped a beat on the floor. Six hours and 15 minutes passed since guards dumped her in this chair. The lock in the door thudded before it screeched open. An officer entered and Penny snapped to attention. She couldn't identify any unit or division designation among the medals and bars. His tag said Darrow, barely acknowledged her. His attention keenly focused on the files scrolling across the glass in his hand. At ease, Darrow slid into the seat. Penny sat down. After a few more moments, he laid the glass on the table and lifted his crystal blue eyes to look at her. "'Quite a spot of trouble you're in, Lieutenant.' "'Permission to speak freely, sir?' "'Sure.' First of all, what the hell did you do to my rig? You have no idea how long it took me to put that thing together, so it better be fixed by the time I get out of here. And second, the Cassandra project was decommissioned like 60 years ago, so why are you wasting your time grilling me about ancient history instead of asking yourself why a Vanduul raid was so interested in obtaining outdated tech? Darrow was lost for words, but Penny was just getting started. Cal Mason was also in a spot of trouble. Handcuffed in the cargo hold of the Phoenix, his death sentence had just been issued. "'You should have taken my offer, Mason,' Sasha said and headed back toward the pilot chair. "'It would have been easier on everyone.' Nesser looked between Sasha and Trunk, obvious, a little uncomfortable about this whole cold-blooded murder thing. Instead of saying anything, he just walked away. "'Not me.' I got no problem tossing people like you in the void. Trunk hissed and shoved Cal toward the airlock. Cal saw something in a toolbox on the starboard wall that looked promising. Now he just had to get over there. I'll bet you don't. Saves you the embarrassment of losing in a fair fight. You serious, little man? Trunk chuckled. Cal turned around and got right in Trunk's face. Sure. Sure. I heard the only survivors on Cathcart were the ones that hid like cowards, Cal said. Although, he thought he went a little far with that one. Apparently, Trunk did too. He shoved Cal hard. Cal stumbled back and slammed into the starboard wall. His fingers found what they were looking for. You know, I think the airlock might be a little too quick, Trunk said as he slowly approached. One hand snatched Cal's throat and pinned him against the wall. The other drew a blade, come on, man, don't nesser popped out of the bunks, attracted by the noise, yeah, trunk, Cal snapped a cuff around trunk's wrist, click, don't, trunk's eyes went wide, he swung the knife, it was clumsy, hurried. Cal dodged the attack and swung him into the wall. The blade clattering to the deck. Sasha sprinted from the pilot's chair, weapon drawn. She drew up on Cal just as he came up with the knife at the trunk's throat. She froze. A couple moments of silence let the standoff settle in. What do you think you're doing there, Mason? Sasha said, slowly advancing. Cal glanced back at Nesser, who grabbed his gun too. Cordially declining the airlock, Cal divided his attention between the pair of guns on him. He wasn't as concerned with Nesser shooting, but still, the gun's a gun. Think this through. You don't really have many options. You kill him, you die a second later. Sasha glanced at Nesser. She doubted you'd be able to count on him. And it's a little inhospitable outside. Maybe. Cal kicked the control panel on the floor. The housing for the P-52 slid open. Sasha fumed. Trunk coughed and struggled, but the knife put him back in line. The P-52's cockpit opened. You won't stand a chance in that thing. I do love a challenge, Cal grinned. He moved beside the cockpit and hit the button for the housing to start closing. He leaned toward Trunk. I'm sorry about the Cathcart thing. To be honest, I thought the campaign was disgraceful. Cal shoved Trunk toward Sasha completely cutting off her shot and dropped into the cockpit a second before the housing closed completely he opened the outer doors and quickly powered up the ship it hummed to life cal sighed relieved that they maintained this ship too sasha raced back to the cockpit to lock down the outer doors but it was too late massive thuds echoed through the ship as the p-52 disengaged she slid into the pilot seat and fixed the phoenix into attack position trunk walked up behind her rubbing his wrists get on the turret trunk hesitated until sasha glared at him cal took a second to take in cal took a second to take in his position he was in banu territory about a half hour burn back to the traffic heading into the jump point his screens lit up as the phoenix launched a spread of missiles cal flashed his engines he rerouted power from the guns to boost his speed She was half correct about the P-52. While it doesn't have the firepower to hurt the Phoenix, it's got agility. Cal weaved around the missiles. The swiftness stirred his blood. The missiles cut around and reacquired. The Phoenix turret unleashed a barrage of cannon shots. Cal corkscrewed through the shots and punched straight toward the Phoenix. The missiles screamed after him. Sasha knew what he was up to, dove, and cut the engine. The missile stayed locked on Cal. Trunk tracked him with the turret. One shot blasted a missile. Cal feverishly recalibrated the pilot assist. Too many features were set on auto. He liked the control. He needed it to be able to open this bird up. The phoenix swung up behind him. Cal looked up. He was set to go. The P-52's engines rumbled with the added power and screamed forward. Phoenix unleashed another volley. Laser blast streaked past Cal. He put shields back and weaved around trying to put the rockets in the line of fire. A neutron shot clipped another missile which tumbled off course then exploded. Cal got some distance on the Phoenix and kept the throttle max. Aboard the Phoenix, Sasha was losing patience. The P-52 proved to be almost impossible to hit. Her tracking computers got tripped up as it twisted and tumbled through the air. He's going to hit that traffic, Trunk said over comms. It doesn't matter. He doesn't have a jump drive, she replied and rerouted the ship's power to give the engines a boost. And he'll run out of fuel in ten minutes. Got some company, Sasha looked over. Some Banu militia circled but kept their distance probably there to make sure the chaos was contained. Check your shots. We'll be fine. Sasha shifted her focus back to Cal. She took a calming breath and gave herself to the controls. In her zone, she matched Cal's wild flight moves beat for beat. Trunk snapped off shots to pen Cal in. The two ships screamed through space. One by one, the missiles hit their range limit and exploded. Sasha kept a sustained stream of fire. More and more energy blasts connected, chipping away the shields of the small fighter. Trunk nailed the P-52 with a solid hit. The shields couldn't stop the shot, which punched through the engine. Cal Mason zipped past the jump point and looped up. Sasha stayed on him. The damaged engine decreased its speed enough for her targeting computers to get a lock. She kept the Phoenix on course. Her finger hovered over the trigger. The P-52's cockpit was getting pretty ragged. That last shot should have cut his ship in half, but somehow it held up. Cal knew he had one shot at this. He glanced at the jump point. A caterpillar was just about to cross. Cal hit a retro burn, twisted, and dove back down. The phoenix swept past him. He punched it and fell in behind the caterpillar. The jump point opened and the caterpillar disappeared inside. This is really dumb, he muttered and dove into the jump point through the wake before it closed. Sasha watched the P-52 disappear into the jump point in stunned silence. Um, Trunk said over the open comm. Yeah, it seemed like an awful lot to go through to just kill yourself. Finally, Sasha turned the phoenix and burned away. They had places to be. Chapter 9 the light frame of the P-52 screamed from the pull of interspace. Everything blurred, sound flipped between the screaming turbine and toned silence. The starboard wing crumpled and tore off. The stern of the Caterpillar phased in and out of view. Cal fought with the ship to stay locked on its wake. It was that, or the end. The UEE customs Station at the jump point, from the Farron to the Panu Protectorate, was especially congested today. The customs agent stared at the manifestation of monotony, a row of ships, haulers, and transports as far as the eye could see. He took a moment to make peace with the long, boring day ahead, then buzzed the first ship forward to the scanners. He ran the ship's tags through the database while the scan bots did their thing. A caterpillar transport emerged from the jump point and lumbered toward the checkpoint. Customs agent casually glanced at it. He froze at what he saw. A P fifty two had come through as well. One of the wings was ripped off. The nose had been folded. Oxygen and fluids leaked through cracks in the body. One engine gently pulsed with life, the other was dark. The customs agent snapped out of it and slammed the alarms. In a matter of minutes, police and med teams descended on the P fifty two The agent listened to the fervorous chatter over the comms. Someone said the pilot was UEE military and miraculously still alive. Cal Mason woke up on a table. Medics hovered over him, about to work, surprised at his consciousness. How long have I been out? He said, not wasting a minute. The lead medic stammered. The others exchanged baffled glances. Cal sat up. His body surged in pain. He dragged himself off the table. Sir, sir. One of the nurses tried to usher Cal back to the table. Cal didn't slow down as he shuffled toward the door. A clock on one of the screens said that little over an hour had passed. The medics and nurses hustled after their wayward patient. Cal shoved his way through more medics, guards, a couple customs agents who gathered to watch, and finally got to the landing bay and the wreckage of the P-52. A couple of mechanics stood around it, marveling at its state. Hey, you got an omni-tool handy? Cal said to one of the mechanics. He stared at Cal, dumbfounded, and held it out. Cal climbed onto the P-52 and started unscrewing a panel. Lieutenant Mason! A voice boomed from the entrance of the hangar. Cal didn't stop. The Phoenix was undoubtedly on the move, continuing on with their plan. Cal could still catch them, but if they jumped to another system, they'd be gone. P-52s, like most short-range fighters, come equipped with homing beacons keyed to their host ship. Makes them much easier to recover. Most pirates and smugglers disable the beacon as soon as they can. Not many people knew that with a little modification, the beacon could be reversed. So instead of the Constellation being able to locate the P-52... The P fifty two can locate the constellation. Cal, however, did know this. Lieutenant That voice again, closer. Cal glanced up. The customs supervisor stood over him, an amused grin on his face. You all right? Yeah, fine. Maybe you should have a dog have a look at you, be sure. I'd love to. A little short on time at the moment. Cal extracted the last bolt and pulled the beacon out. Disabled, as expected, but intact. I don't suppose you have a ship I could use? The customs supervisor turned as a couple cops hustled into the hangar. Ask them. Thirty minutes of debate later, Cal launched from the customs station in a cutlass recently seized for smuggling contraband. A dozen confused cops and medical staff watched him disappear into the jump point. This trip into Banu territory would be a lot smoother than the last. On the other side, Cal plugged the P-52's beacon into his nav system. While he waited for the computer to import the data, he calibrated the pilot assist to his liking. Everybody likes piloting on auto. It was a fact that mystified and bugged him. His radar pinged. The Phoenix was still in the system. They sat down on Queegh. Third planet in the system and capital. It was a dry, arid planet, prone to massive dust storms. The radar refined their location the closer Cal got to the planet. The beacon placed the Phoenix in a smaller settlement on the dark side of the planet. It was only a couple dozen stacked buildings, each constructed as sharp angles to help minimize the impact of the heavy winds. Cal landed on one of the outer landing parks. He found an air gen respirator and some atmospheric gear left behind by the previous owners of the Cutlass. The wind was already kicking furiously as Cal set out. He found the Phoenix relatively easily. There weren't many constellations taking up space here, and they hadn't even bothered trying to hide it. Cal saw a faint light through the cockpit, emanating from deeper in the ship. Someone was in there. Cal found a spot and waited. Trunk climbed down and sealed the constellation. He glanced around before heading into the narrow streets, chocked full of Banu, Human, and Taveran, even as a dust storm brewed. Cal kept a good distance. Too good a distance. A couple times he almost lost Trunk in the mob, so he got closer. Finally, Trunk hopped down some stairs into the basement of a building. The above-ground section of the building was segmented into massive structures shaped like fins, and sat on rotating platforms to keep it always turned into the wind. All of the windows on the first two floors were blacked out. It was tough to tell through the blasted sand, but the place looked abandoned. Cal waited a few moments before approaching the stairwell that trunk disappeared into. When he finally peered down, the stairs led to a single door. Cal crept down the steps and pushed the door. Locked. Cal looked around for another way in. About 15 meters into the gap between the rotator plates and the upper building, he saw a light escape some kind of ventilation or grill. He squeezed into the gap and crawled toward the grate. The wind shifted direction. The mechanism sensors screeched to life and turned the building over him. Cal slipped inside the cramped ventilation shaft. After pulling himself through the buildup of dust and dirt, he found another grate and dropped into an empty room. Cal quietly moved through the dark, abandoned halls. Something metal clattered in the distance. Voices echoed soon after. Cal made his way toward it. Peering around a corner, the hall opened up to an old auditorium. Now it was some kind of lab. Arrays of computers and clear enclosures surrounded a massive piece of equipment hidden under a tarp. Cables plunged through a hole in the ground to tap into the settlement's underground power network. Trunk sat at a crate closest to Cal. Sasha studied some of the faded Banu banners rotting away on the wall. Mahoney was elbow-deep in the guts of one of the machines taken from Yar. Cal guessed he was wrong about Mahoney being the Phoenix mechanic. Apparently, he was some kind of engineer, and kind of a lunatic. He mumbled to himself as he gently extracted a smooth metal canister. Whatever was inside was either very valuable or extremely dangerous. They just don't get it. The threshold of a discovery could change the face of humanity. And what did they do? What did they do? They call it. Mahoney rambled as he carefully moved the canister to one of the enclosures. It was tough for Cal to tell, but it looked like there were clumps of grassy dirt inside. Do they care that men and women dedicated their lives to it? No, just a pat on the back and don't ever talk about a threat and a beer at the door. Mahoney attached some wires into the canister, still muttering to himself. Sasha slowly walked over to watch. It's not right. These are lies. These bureaucrats need to remember that. Mahoney sealed the enclosure. Sasha nodded blankly. She wasn't going to get involved. Mahoney went to one of the consoles and wiped dust off the screen. He looked at the enclosure as he hit a button. The canister popped open for a nanosecond. Sasha watched intently. Nothing seemed to happen for a few seconds. I thought you... She started to say, but Mahoney cut her off. He was glancing between the enclosure and the console, bristling with giddy energy. Sasha turned back to the enclosure. Even at this distance, Cal could see it too. The grass and dirt were breaking down. In seconds, they were turned into gray sludge. Then the real magic began. They started being reconstructed. By the end of the process, that tiny burst of whatever was in the canister reconstituted the grassy clumps exactly the same, except the grass was now violet. I told you it would work. Grandpa was right. Mahoney bounced around while Sasha leaned down to get a better look. Mahoney hustled over to the equipment in the middle of the room and yanked the tarp off. Cal's heart sank. From its shape, tail fins, and guidance sensors, there could be no doubt. It was a bomb. Chapter 10 In the Null System, Grady Monk passed the time waiting for his contact by watching its only star. Scientists said it was a pulsating star. didn't look like it was pulsating to him. He checked his clock again. He was giving this guy ten more minutes, then he was going to move on to the next buyer. Grady Monk doesn't wait for clients. He saw movement outside the ship in the corner of his eye. About damn time, he thought, and turned. His eyes widened. Grady Monk's ship disappeared in the definition of pulsating explosion. Aboard the Gemini, Darrow sat across from Penny. He was finally getting the opportunity to talk. You could be in a lot of trouble, Lieutenant, he said. Your rather long-winded monologue explained your reasons for illegally accessing archive files, but it doesn't change the fact that you were illegally accessing classified data. The door opened. Admiral Showalter was there. He did not look amused. Penny and Darrow saluted. Showalter stepped into the room. He looked at Darrow. Care to explain to me why you're harassing my pilot? Sir, Lieutenant Ayala accessed... Cassandra Project files. I know. I talked to your superior, son. Showalter said, his voice calm and deliberate. You didn't answer my question. Three months ago we started noticing attempts to crack the archive for lab notes regarding Cassandra and trace them back to the former project leader's grandson, Warden. Darrow queued the screen. Warden Mahogany popped up, the same guy from the Phoenix. The advocacy placed Warden on a watch list. Three weeks ago, he vanished, so when Lieutenant Ayala accessed the project files, we were concerned of a security compromise. Well... She wasn't working for this kid, Joe Walter looked at Penny. She shook her head. So the matter's resolved. Four systems away in Banu territory, the matter was far from resolved. Cal was trying to figure out how to ambush the crew of the Phoenix when some hired hands showed up. Now instead of Sasha, Trunk, and Mahoney, he had six more guns to deal with. Cal couldn't hear if they were going to sell it or use it. Regardless, this thing could not get out. Now he only needed a plan of how to pull that off. Starting a firefight in here sounded like a bad idea. All it would take is one wild shot to clip the bomb in the room. Maybe the whole settlement would be nothing more than a pool of goo. Cal still had the P-52 beacon wired to the Phoenix position, so his best play was to get in space and vaporize it. He wasn't terribly optimistic about pitting a cutlass against a Constellation, but it's better than trying to slug it out down here. Besides, he was better with wings than fists. Sasha talked quietly to the mercs, and then walked over to Mahoney, who was loading the rest of the Cassandra Project canisters into the bomb. Are you done? We need to get this thing loaded. Yeah, a couple minutes, he muttered as he carefully wired the canisters to the firing mechanism. Sasha turned to the Mercs. "'Once we get this outside, get to your positions along your route. You think someone's following us? Even paying too much attention to us, I want to know immediately.' She turned to Trunk. "'You pay them?' "'Yeah, all set.' Cal slowly backed away. He wanted to get out there before the Mercs did and retraced his steps back to the ventilation shaft. By the time he got outside... They were loading the covered bomb into a tray of anti-grav buffers. Sasha nodded to the thugs who dispersed into the crowd. Cal memorized their faces and ducked away. Sasha and Trunk kept guarded while Mahoney pushed the bomb through the narrow streets of the Banu settlement. None of the pedestrians paid them any mind. Cal kept pace and watched from a distance, making sure to avoid any of the mercs posted to flush out tails. These mercs were good because Cal didn't see a single one. Only when they loaded the bomb into the cargo bay of the Phoenix did Cal break off and run back to the Cutlass. He dropped into the pilot seat and heated up the engines. A quick scan in the P-52 beacon plotted the Phoenix on his scope. Cal let them get some distance before he followed. They were headed back to the jump point. Cal had a decision to make. Undoubtedly, They've worked out a way to get the bomb past the custom scans, but Cal could come ahead to detain them and get the bomb. Downside, he wouldn't get the buyer, if there was one. He weighed it. Mm, Not worth the risk. The longer this thing was out there, the more opportunity something could surprise Cal. He was tired of being surprised. UEE Custom Station Charlie Farron System. This is Lieutenant Cal Mason, UEE Navy, CIS ID 5847DDC. I am tracking a dangerous weapon about to enter your system on a Constellation-class ship, possibly designation Phoenix. Please separate and detain all vessels matching this description and forward this message on to Lieutenant Penelope Ayala, UEES Gemini. He outlined everything he had seen as a separate attachment and sent the message ahead to the relay station. That should settle it. He doubted the Phoenix would try and start a fight. Unfortunately, as he continued flying, that doubt turned to they might, then most likely. There's no way they'd let themselves get caught with a doomsday device. Now, Cal was convinced he put a lot of customs agents at risk kicked the throttle into full burn and punched through the jump point. On the other side, it was chaos. Ships tumbled through space without power. The customs station was in lockdown. Someone set off an EMP charge, a big one, Ships were taking advantage of the disabled security and racing through the jump point while the few customs and police ships that had powered scrambled to maintain order. It was the perfect cover for the phoenix to slip through. Cal found the phoenix bearing on his radar and went after them. By the time it came within sight, there were only a handful of ships in their flight lane. Cal started priming his weapons. He'd need to hit them hard and fast... Knock out as much of their defensive capabilities as possible if he wanted to stand up. Laser fire flared past the cockpit. Cal veered away instinctively. A marauder blasted past him and looped around for another pass. On his scans, the Phoenix raised shields. That's when it hit him. Back in the lab when Sasha said, Get to your positions along our route. She didn't mean the settlement. She meant in space. "'Cal, you stupid son of a—' "'More incoming fire from the Phoenix. "'Cal rolled the ship out of the way. "'Suddenly, he got a comm from Phoenix. "'Identify yourself. "'It was her. "'Take a guess,' Cal said. "'The marauder fell in behind him and opened fire with its guns. "'Cal swung his turret and returned fire. "'Mason? "'You need to stop. "'There was a long pause. "'Go home, Mason.' After seeing what that bomb can do, Cal said. His system buzzed from missile lock. He cut direction and dropped countermeasures. You know I can't do that. Your funeral? You're not this person, Cal blurted out, hoping that she hadn't closed the channel. You're carrying something that could wipe out millions, possibly billions. I know you've got a bone to pick with the UEE, and I get it, I do. But this is too much, and I think you know it. The Marauder tagged him with an IR marker. A spread of missiles streaked from the rocket pod and acquired. The turret on the Phoenix swung around and hammered some shots too. The Merc and the Marauder was good, but not great. It was the two ships fighting in tandem that was the problem. Cal broke off pursuit of the Phoenix and veered away, pulling the line of missiles with him. The Marauder pursued. The Phoenix didn't. Its engines flashed, and it raced away. Cal kicked the suicide brakes, which cut the engines and flipped the cutlass completely around without losing his momentum. Cal opened up with his lasers at the incoming missiles. He managed to blast six of the eight before he had to flip back and gun it. The Marauder unleashed its full arsenal on Cal. He clipped the last two missiles, but the cutlass took a slew of hits as well. Shields managed to hold free of the missiles, Cal was ready to tangle. The Marauder lasted four minutes. Based on the Phoenix bearing, they were headed for the jump point into Crowshaw. He saw their signal flicker and disappeared. They were through. Cal redirected all available power to the engines. The Cutlass burst after them. Darrow sent off his incident report and awaited orders from his superiors. Penny stared at the ceiling, bored out of her mind. The door slid open. A young ensign poked his head in. Communication for Lieutenant Ayala? The nervous ensign glanced at Darrow and paused. pause. It's from Cal, ma'am. Ten minutes later, Penny was in front of Showalter, replaying Cal's message about the Phoenix, the bomb, everything. Showalter stared ahead. His eyes narrowed as he listened, but his face was otherwise inscrutable, as usual. Darrow was by the door. They're going for Earth, Showalter said after a protracted silence. You don't think they'll try and sell it, Penny said. Twenty to one, that kid's going to finish what his nut of a grandpa started. Showalter buzzed the bridge. Spin up the engines, we're changing course. Crowshaw's system was quiet. It was an average day on almost all of the planets. People went to work. Kids went to school. There were four active jump points in the system. One went to the Sol system and Earth. The second went to the Null system, an unclaimed system due to the variable star at its center. The third went to the Davian system. Cal exited the fourth jump point from Farron. It took his radar a second to reacquire the Phoenix. It was on course for Null. Cal kept his pursuit weaving around the general traffic in the system. Cal caught sight of a constellation in the distance. He burned to close the distance. It was the Phoenix, all right. His systems went nuts. A general emergency warning was being blasted on all channels. Something about... Oh, no, Cal thought. He looked up. Black Talon emerged from the null jump point, followed by a dozen of Duel fighters. They immediately started attacking the customs agents. A Van Dool flagship and the rest of the clan battleships appeared shortly after. Local cops and pilots suddenly turned to defend the system. The Phoenix flew past the waves of Van Dool and disappeared into the flagship. Suddenly, all the pieces fell into place. The Phoenix didn't hire the Van Duel to hit the system. The Van Duel hired them to build a weapon. This wasn't Mahoney's revenge. This was an organized Vanduul strike into the heart of their enemy. The flagship opened fire with its weapons. Its fighters clashed with the paltry human resistance. Cal hopped on the general comm to organize the pilots and plunged right into the brawl. Pilots from both sides danced around each other, fighting for that kill shot. Lasers burned through the void. Space became littered with debris and wreckage. Frantic chatter filled the channels. It was war. The Vanduul flagship altered its course toward the solar system, toward Earth. Cal finished off the Vanduul fighter he'd been tangling with and assessed the situation. In short, it wasn't going well. The Van Duel had more experience, were more ruthless. The police and scattered military personnel were doing some damage, but as the Van Duel dispatched more and more civilians, Cal knew the tide would decidedly and lethally shift against them. Even if they managed to destroy the fighters, they were powerless against the larger Vandul ships. Then he saw salvation. The Gemini, the beautiful Gemini, appeared through the Farron jump point. Cal guessed they got his message. Seven wings of fighters launched from the deck. We thought you were dead. Penny said over comms. Come on, Penny, Cal replied. Well, when Grandpa gets a hold of you, you might wish you were. (laughs) Great to see you, Penny. You too, Penny said. Shall we? They dove into the fight. The Vanduul flagship turned its weapons on the Gemini. Deck cannons exchanged massive beams of destruction across the vacuum. Shields flared up, keeping the shots at bay. Smaller ships were incinerated in the crossfire. Cal and Penny fought, side by side like they always did. He saw the phoenix blast off from the flagship. It weaved its way through the battle, heading back to Farron. Its shields flared up, and Cal looked up. Black Talon and a bunch of friends were bearing down on them. "'Look who's back,' Cal said. "'Let's get him, Penny replied." Talon Penny peeled off from the respective battles and moved to intercept Black Talon. They could see local pilots try to engage Talon, but they were no match for the Vanduul Ace. Cal opened fire on Black Talon, who danced around the shots. Penny tried to fill in the gaps, but he was too nimble. They were suddenly dodging blasts and rockets from dozens of raiders. Cal could barely keep sight of Black Talon as he spiraled through space, his shields taking multiple hits from multiple directions. Penny peeled off and twisted with a couple of raiders. Aboard the Phoenix, Sasha watched the empty space ahead, her expression weary. Trunk was in the turret. He watched the desperate battle envelop the entire system with a similar countenance. He climbed down the ladder and joined his half-sister in the cockpit. "'They're getting tore up out there,' he said after a long pause. "'It's not our problem,' Sasha said quietly. It didn't sound convincing. "'Technically,' Trunk started to say, but paused. "'What?' "'I don't know. We did the job and got paid, so uh, technically our responsibility to them is done now. We can do what we want.' They sat in silence. I'm just saying, Trunk said. Back in the brawl, some of the shields on the Vanduul flagship had failed. Explosions dotted along the side of the ship. The Gemini was taking its fair share of hits. One of the main guns had been blasted clean off, causing munitions explosions below deck that punched out the hull like blisters. The other Vanduul battleships were specifically targeting the engines. The massive UEE carrier was starting to slow down. Cal set his sights on the flagship. The bomb must still be there. would make sense. That's the most secure place, and it's the only thing gunning for this old jump point. He guessed it would be able to jump in a matter of minutes. Penny, cover me. What are you doing now? You probably don't want to know. Cal flipped his ship around Black Talon's fire and flashed toward the flagship. Black Talon started to come after him, but Penny tied him up, giving Cal a head start. He heard Penny curse over comms. He looked back. She was hit. One of her engines was out. Black Talon and the Vanduul fighters circled to finish her off. Cal glanced back to the flagship, closing on the jump point. It was one or the other. As Cal reached for the retro thrusters, something swooped past him toward Penny. Laser blasts annihilated the Vanduul's size before they could strike. Black Talon broke away to avoid the fire. It was the Phoenix. Good luck, Mason, was all that came over the comm before the Phoenix fired its engines and took off. Penny got her engines back online and burned away to safety. Cal refocused on the flagship and got his game face on. He ran through the layout of the ship from when he was on it. He visualized the landing bay. Deep, cavernous, but plenty of room to maneuver. The flagship vanished into the jump point. Laser blast streaked past from behind him. Black Talon was on his tail. Cal hit his afterburners. The Cutlass launched towards the jump point and disappeared with Black Talon right on his tail. Space turned into a smear. The autopilot kicked in and started reducing his ship to a safe speed. Cal disabled it and kept his throttle down. They'd been through the Crowshaw Soul jump point dozens of times. He only had about five minutes before they came out the other side. Something smashed his wing. The flagship slowly passed, flickering in and out of view. The cutlass frame groaned as it twisted. Cal pulled ahead of the flagship. On a wing and a prayer, he cut the afterburners and spun the ship. Suddenly, he was scooped inside the landing bay. He scanned the flight deck below. Baffled, Van Dool fired small arms and yelled at him. Three minutes. He made a complete pass through the flight deck, but didn't... There. Mechanics were rigging the bomb into a Van dual bomber. Cal swung the cutlass around. Black Talon suddenly came into view, bearing down. Cal tried not to let it distract him. He focused on his target. He knew he would not get another shot at this. Two minutes. Black Talon charged him, weapons blazing. Cal fired. It was quiet in Seoul. Reinforcements amassed at the jump point. The front of the Vanduul flagship pierced the jump point. All the UEE naval ships heated up their guns, but they didn't fire. Only the front half of the Vanduul flagship tumbled out of the jump point. The back half was gone. That's when Cal's cutlass emerged from the landing bay. It had also been hit by the Cassandra gas. He immediately ejected. The momentum flung him toward the line of Navy guns. He twisted around to watch the Van Dual flagship turn to a molecular goo in zero-g. The Cutlass, too. It was a shame. He started to like that ship. Now that the adrenaline had subsided, he felt a sharp pain in his leg. It felt broken. He sighed and waved for the cavalry to pick him up. Cal stepped back onto the Gemini to thunderous applause. Kearney, the giant pit mechanic, swooped him up in a big bear hug. Penny waited with her hands on her hips and a grin. Cal saluted her. She nodded. The pilots and crew patted him on the back as he limped across the deck. The crowd parted, and he was face to face with Admiral Showalter. Cal stood at attention and saluted. Sir. Showalter glared at him for several moments. We buried you, Mason. I'm sorry I screwed that up, sir. Cal tried not to smile. That was the fourth funeral they've apparently had for him. I'll try to stay dead next time. Sherwalter shook his head and walked away. Cal spent the next two weeks in medical with his leg in a cast. He tried looking for any reports of Sasha or the Phoenix. The ship was found abandoned near Terra, she had disappeared. Four days later, he started to get that itch again. That itch that came from being grounded too long. This has been the conclusion of Cassandra's Tears, an RSI Cal Mason Adventure. Uh, It has been my pleasure to present it to you. I hope you enjoyed the final installment. And once again, apologies for it taking so long. And also, I'd like to take this moment to apologize to every Irishman out there who may be listening to my terrible, terrible Irish accent for our character Mahoney. I do promise to work on it. Scottish, okay. So I I think he may be we'll say he grew up in Scotland <laughs> a little bit, a little bit Irish, a little bit of Scottish, but it's something I'm putting my uh, task to. So hopefully we'll get that all straightened out in future episodes. If indeed they do come back, I will work on my Irish accent. My uh, my apologies to you, but thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. There are more stories I plan on doing. I'm going to be picking one uh, soon and uh, have an opportunity to get started. Hopefully it continues to grow. Hopefully enjoy it as you're flying around the verse Uh, listen to the episodes, let me know on Twitter at SpaceTruckerRA1 if you enjoyed it, uh, any tips you'd like, or if you'd like a certain story done, episodes you'd like to see, by all means. Also, on whatever your favorite podcast platform is, you can notice in my bio, I have my Star Citizen referral code. Use that referral code and buy a $45 game package, and I will send you 50,000 credits in-game. So that's in addition to the 5,000 credits that that uh rsi will give you so a good little start to get you started and a thank you from me for listening thank you very much this has been my pleasure my name is phoenix and as always keep your eyes on your radar i'll see you in the verse